Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! For all the super wine geeks out there, we have a special new series dedicated to you. We are reading excerpts from our new edition of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0. Wine lovers, tune in for your weekly fix only on Italian Wine Podcast. If you want to own a copy of this new must-read Italian wine textbook, just go to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Umbria. Historical background. The development of Umbria's wine-growing tradition can be conveniently attributed to a handful of significant factors. The inventiveness of the Etruscans, the expansion of Greek culture, the resourcefulness of the Romans, and the meticulousness of the monks. The very existence of modern winemaking in Umbria is a legacy of each of those ancient cultures. Today, the region offers numerous denominations a number of which represent true excellence and a viticultural tradition which, combined with the other regional cuisine, makes the Umbrian food and wine basket among the most appreciated in Italy. It was the Etruscans, beginning in the 8th and 7th centuries BC, at the height of the Iron Age, who began cultivating vines in a systematic manner, as evidenced by the discovery of vine seeds from the period around Lake Bolsena. Within a few centuries, Orvieto had become the epicenter of Etruscan wine in Umbria. The Romans not only continued, but also consolidated winemaking activity in the region, bringing an economic significance to wine production that surpassed the other agricultural activities in the areas of patrician villas. These activities are confirmed by the numerous objects and utensils found in the Villa of Pliny the Younger at San Giustino, where the remains of winemaking instruments have been identified, as well as in the Roman dwellings built along the river Tiber, which at the time would have been used to transport wine to Rome. Important literature relating to agriculture also survives from the Roman era. A good example is Virgil's Georgics, which describes not only the agricultural techniques practiced, but also the characteristics of the wines produced and the grapes from which they were made. An account comparable to that written by Pliny the Elder, who in Stratis Naturalis Historia mentioned a mysterious Irziola or Irciola located in the Bevegna area. Also documented in Bevegna is the presence in the 2nd century BC of an industry of high prestige specialized in the production of drinking vessels. Viticulture continued to spread in the inland territories, coinciding with the transition that took place from the ancient to the medieval world following the fall of the Roman Empire. In the 
final centuries of the first millennium, Umbria experienced a complex and significant rural development. The topography of the territory was pockmarked with Castella, Castra, Casales, Fondi, Curtes, Monasteria, Ecclesia, Celle, and Plebis, all with vineyards and a social and economic organization that drew on agricultural resources, including vines and wine. The expansion of monastic orders founded by St. Clair, St. Francis of Assisi, and St. Benedict of Norcia, the latter of whom, when writing the rules of his order, specifically mentioned wine, recommending that it can be drunk in moderation as it could mislead even the wisest people. Benedictine monks, who preached all over the country, also brought with them cuttings of vines they encountered in their pilgrimages. These activities established the status of wine in the region to such an extent that it was even used as a currency to pay for goods, works of art, and frescoes. In the aftermath of the political unification of Italy, Umbria too had to adapt to a new concept. In the aftermath of the political unification of Italy, Umbria too had to adapt to the new concepts of the free exchange of goods within the national boundaries. In order to cope with the significant volume of wines arriving from other regions, local producers and traders had to adjust their methodologies and production strategies. In 1871, on the initiative of a group of producers, a regional analogical society was founded, of which Raffaele Antinori was elected president. Although the lifespan of the association was short-lived, it provides a strong identification of the changes taking place during that period and paved the way for other initiatives aimed at enhancing the region's productivity. In 1875, the Commissione Ampelografica dell'Umbria was established, bringing together seven autonomous branches scattered across the territory and began to survey and document the grape varieties present in the region from Sagrantino to Greco di Todi. Are you enjoying this podcast? There's so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, The Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco, and other stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. These initiatives contributed to raising the quality of the region's wine, so much so that, in 1891, Pellegrino Artusi, in his famous cookbook, La Scienza in Cucina e l'Arte di Mangiar Bene, hit praise on the region's wine, describing wine from Orvieto as more compliant and digestible than any other Italian white wine. The arrival of the phylloxera epidemic decimated Umbria's empelographic heritage, but at the same time destroyed value to the sector by boosting research and experimentation on the native grape varieties that would in time add character and personality to the Umbrian wine scene. Geomorphology Umbria is located in the geographical center of Italy, and like Aosta Valley, Piedmont, Lombardy, and Trentino Alto Adige has no outlet to the sea. To the east and northeast Umbria borders Marche along the mountain ridges that delimit its territory. To the west and northwest, it shares a border 
with Tuscany and to the south and southwest with Lazio. Almost 30% of the territory is mountainous, while 63% is covered with hills and only 6% is flat. The most significant valleys are those of the Tiber, which cross Umbria from Città di Castello to Todi, and the Valle Umbra, an extension of the Valtiberina, which originates in Romagna and runs between Tuscany and Umbria, parallel to the Casentino. There are several lakes, including Lake Trasimeno, the fourth largest lake in Italy by surface area. The conformation of the land and the distance from the sea give the region a greatly varied climate that changes according to geography and the altitude. These factors contribute to strong temperature variations between day and night, facilitating the ripening of the grapes. In the mountainous areas, the climate is temperate cool with frequent rainfall, often snowy, while in the plains and hills, the climate is temperate Mediterranean. On the western side, Umbria is geologically similar to Tuscany, while on the eastern side, carbonate secessions typical of the Umbria Marche area emerge. A closer analysis reveals that Umbria soils can be subdivided into three basic lithologies, volcanic, siliclastic, sediments, and sediments from Lake Tibertino. The upper Tiber Valley, thanks to its position, land morphology, and lithology, is well suited to wine production. The soils harnessed for vine cultivation are in fact shallow to medium deep, with a moderate content of coarse fraction and a tendency to be loamy and clayey. They also have a good land content and a good subalkaline reaction. The soils south of Perugia, on the other hand, consist partly on sandstones and partly on clays of limestone clays. In the area between Assisi, Perugia, and Spello, the terrain is composed of highly permeable and friable substrates where pedogenes has produced deep soils with a medium degree of evolution. While natural erosion has been modest due to the low slopes, the intensity of agriculture has often led to homogenization of the profiles and trigger locally accelerated erosion. At the southern end of Perugia, in the Amelia DOC production area, there are predominantly sandy clay lake soils deriving from the deposits of Lake Tiberino. The lake regime, identified by geologists, is vast, extending from Città di Castello to Spoleto and from Perugia to Città della Pieve. Tiberino is a large lake that survived for about 3 million years throughout the Pliocene and for a large part of the Pleistocene. It produced the various sedimentary phases of a large part of the flat Umbrian area and is linked to the Pliocene and Pleistocene sands that outcrop in the Torjano area. The lignites and the remains of mammals frequently found in the soil bear witness to the life that developed on the shores of Lake Tiberino up to a million years ago. Even between the towns of Spoleto, Todi, and Torjano, the soil is characterized by lake sediments as well as marly arenaceous and cinereous scales, soils that give character to Sagrantino, whose expressiveness is mainly due to Pleiopliocene lacustrine deposits with a strong clay component. It is an area where only hilly soils with good exposure are considered suitable, where there is a greater concentration of clay, calcareous soils mixed with gray marls, stuffs, and volcanic residues. The geological constitution of the area around Lake Trasimeno presents classic sedimentary terms of a marine environment with 
subsequent flavio lacustrine coverings. Despite this, there is a considerable variability of pedogenetic. Despite this, there is a considerable variability of pedogenetic substrata due to the considerable differences that characterize the various sedimentation environments. Above all, the velocity of running water, which has repercussions on the granulometry of the sediments, which today allows us to distinguish at least four categories of substrata. In the southwestern part of the region, around Orvieto, there are also soils of volcanic origin, above the fossil-rich Pliocene clays, where there are also banks of tops, pyroclastic flows, and lava flows enriched with potassium and minerals. The other aspect of the Orvieto area is the presence of Pliocene clays and sands that contribute to the production of more robust wines, while the less full-bodied, fresh and perfumed wines come from wine-growing areas located on the volcanic soils mentioned above. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.